This program is brought to you by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu. You are listening to a seminar brought to you by Spree, the Stanford Project on Regions of Innovation and Entrepreneurship. Spree is part of the Shorenstein Asia-Pacific Research Center at the Freeman Spogli Institute for International Studies at Stanford University. For more information about Spree, visit our website at spree.stanford.edu. I'm really pleased that I could be here today to introduce Michael Carver. I met Michael in December uh, at the American Chamber of Commerce in Japan uh, podium panel discussion on venture capital. Uh, and Michael wowed the audience in all the ways that I did not. And uh, really impressed us with uh, what he could do and how he can make clarify kind of what's going on in venture capital in Japan. Michael's a truly remarkable person. He was uh, born and raised in Japan, son of missionary parents. Uh, he decided instead to go to, but instead of staying there for university, he came here to Berkeley, a uh, small school across the bay, and uh, stayed there for, I don't know, 20 years. He uh, got his bachelor's degree, a master's degree of economics, and his law degree over at Bolt. Uh, Berkeley. Subsequently, he took that law degree and went to New York and Tokyo working in law firms specializing in M&A uh, and other corporate law issues. Uh, after uh, that time, in 1997, Michael started Global Venture Capital in Tokyo to kind of to take advantage of the new dynamic that's going on in venture capital in Japan. And they quickly established themselves as one of the more dynamic, most interesting, and certainly the most, what we would see in Silicon Valley, you know, standard style um, venture capital companies in Japan. Um, and really, in, our, in my opinion, it's really important to development of the entrepreneurial society in Japan. Michael is also a professor at Hitatsubashi University's uh, International School of Commerce and St Commercial Strategy. Is that uh, International Corporate Strategy. International Corporate Strategy, which is one of the very, very unique things in Japan right now. It is a business school. It is taught in English, and it specializes in teaching foreign business to foreign students. And I think you have students from Kazakhstan, the United States, Japan, everywhere. And one of the very, very unique things, and we think very, very important in Japan. So... He's a truly remarkable person. I think he'll give us a great talk. Please welcome Michael Corbett. Thank you, Bob, for that wonderful introduction. Um, let me just jump right into the, uh, the talk itself. I have a, a PowerPoint presentation here of a number of slides. I, I don't quite remember how many. Uh, but I don't think I have the time, uh, nor do you have the patience to go through all of them in detail. Uh, so, or should you have the patience for me to go through them in detail? So let me just uh, hit the highlights, uh, and uh, then we can have, uh, I'll open up the, uh, uh, the forum to discussion, okay? So uh, I, I hate to hit you with this first slide, since there's so many um, words on here. But these are, I was trying to sort of summarize uh, what venture capital in Japan is about and what it's like. And so these are some of the summary uh, top-level uh, observations. So when we talk about entrepreneurial activity, I think venture capital or venture capitalists are interested in what's called high-growth expectation uh, entrepreneur, uh, entrepreneurship, which isn't entrepreneurship, I guess, in contrast to survival 
uh, entrepreneurship, right? You have, that's, an, uh, that's the only option available to you. And I think uh, one of the uh, sort of uh, conclusions is that both the level of this type of entrepreneurial activity and the VC funding levels in Japan are much lower uh, than in uh, the United States. And even when adjusted for population and size of the economy. So, and I also think, uh, although uh, this may be open for some more debate, is that uh, on both uh, these measures of both entrepreneurial activity and VC funding, uh, Japan is lower on a relative sense uh, than Europe. Okay. According to the Global Entrepreneurship Monitor, uh, which is a survey uh, conducted by Babson and also the London School of uh, Economics, uh, I think it's on an annual basis, uh, Japan ranked second from last, second from last among high-income countries uh, in terms of the prevalence of high growth expectation early stage entrepreneurship and uh, during this period 2000-2006. And that means, and I'm not sure of the survey methodology, uh, but I think they did surveys uh, of uh, entrepreneurs and uh, asked the entrepreneurs uh, whether they were interested uh, in developing businesses that would be, uh, could be defined uh, as high growth businesses. And I think the, the definition that Jem employed was a relatively modest uh, definition. Uh, in five years' time, more than 20 employees, so relatively modest. Okay, and the third point is venture capital is available, uh, but it comes from organizations uh, affiliated with large financial institutions. So there is money available, but most of that money is provided by organizations that are parts of large banks, uh, insurance companies, and securities companies, brokerage houses. Uh, fourth observation, most, most uh, venture-backed companies in Japan target the domestic market exclusively. And uh, in, in my view, the Japanese economy in terms of uh, entrepreneurial activity is both a blessing and a curse. A blessing in the sense that as the second largest economy in the world, there is plenty of scope uh, for creating uh, companies that generate tremendous value for the investors. Uh, a curse in the sense that, uh, in many respects, it limits uh, the vision or the horizon of the entrepreneurs to the domestic borders. Once again, according to Jem, Japan ranks last among high-income countries surveyed in terms of the pre uh, prevalence of the international orientation of its entrepreneurial ventures. Of course, countries like Israel that have a very small domestic market, uh, naturally, I would think, the entrepreneurs there would look outside and look for inter international uh, expansion. In Japan, that's different. It's really the, the domestic market that's being targeted. Um, according to Jem, Japanese have the lowest perceptions of the positive attributes about entrepreneur uh, entrepreneurial activity in the world. So in terms of role models, uh, in terms of aspirations, uh, the entrepreneurship uh, does not rank as high as, for example, uh, being a member of the bureaucracy, of the finance ministry, or uh, more, I guess, uh, uh, being an employee of a large uh, Japanese company. Uh, Japanese venture capitalists depend heavily uh, on a handful of Japanese stock exchanges for, the, for their exits and performance of their do domestic portfolio companies. So in venture capital, uh, venture capitalists invest in a company uh, that is usually uh, near or has recently been established uh, 
and provide uh, growth capital for that company. Uh, but uh, venture capitalists uh, obviously have to make money, and the way they make money is to sell the shares that they have obtained uh, after the company uh, does an initial uh, public offering on an organized stock exchange. Or they can sell the shares uh, in a transaction in which the entire company is sold. And that is critical for a venture capitalist because uh, otherwise uh, there will, would not be any kind of return to its investors. And in Japan, uh, the returns uh, from venture capital investment uh, come almost exclusively uh, from uh, shares sold uh, in the public stock market after, the, uh, after a company has done a stock, uh, a, the, the, done an IPO. And uh, uh, this has certain uh, ramifications for the performance and as well for the strategy of uh, venture capital investment and as well the strategy for uh, entrepreneurs in Japan. So, uh, and finally, Japan is a, a very technologically sophisticated country. Uh, anybody who's been there, uh, experienced Japan, uh, knows this for a fact uh, once they get off the plane at Narita. Uh, it has a large domestic early adopter market and uh, very significant uh, global high-tech companies, you know, generating significant amounts of technological innovation. The question becomes, you know, what is the role of entrepreneurship and venture capital driving in driving this innovation? I mean, the, the, the story that I've, I've uh, uh, indicated here is relatively bleak. Uh, and, the, and it's really the conundrum, uh, I think, that we face. Uh, the level of entrepreneurship, the level of venture capital is low, but there's lots of, of, of innovation uh, and innovation coming from sources other than, than uh, uh, venture businesses. Is this actually true? Uh, if so, why? Uh, some international comparisons uh, to provide uh, this, this setting. Um, so we look at the U.S., which is clearly the market leader in uh, entrepreneurial activity and venture capital activity. Uh, in 2007, nearly $30 billion uh, in 3,813 deals. And this was the highest yearly investment since 2001. Uh, the uh, European figures are a bit less uh, certain, a little bit more preliminary, but this is 11.5 billion uh, euros. So uh, not as much uh, as U.S., the population, I think, of the area covered by the, uh, the, the survey of the European Venture Capital Association covers a greater uh, population than the United States, but uh, the, 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 the amount is less, so obviously the relative uh, amount is, is less. Uh, Japanese VCs uh, invested, and the reason the convention I've taken is roughly 100 million yen equals a million bucks, so a million dollars. 2,800 million is 2.8 million dollars. So whenever you see 100 million yen, that means a million dollars. So roughly 2.8 billion dollars in 2,773 companies. And so that, when you compare it straight on with the United States, it's one-tenth. So the funding level is one-tenth. But an interesting side note here is that the number of companies, uh, or the deals in the, in the case of the US, is uh, is, is less, but not significantly so. So, which means that the average amount invested in each company is considerably less uh, in Japan compared to the United States, okay? Uh, once again, the primary uh, exit vehicle uh, in Japan is the IPO, uh, but in the US and in Europe, 
the primary exit vehicle, at least in terms of numbers of companies uh, that are sold, is the trade sale or the M&A transaction. So uh, especially recently when the uh, public markets uh, in the United States, NASDAQ, uh, have done uh, relatively poorly in terms of numbers of new IPOs, the overwhelming uh, method of exit uh, in the United States has been the uh, trade sale. Uh, who are these VCs? Uh, well, Global Venture Capital is one of them, but we don't rank uh, in the, the top uh, uh, numbers here. Uh, but uh, these are, I'm sorry, I didn't attribute these numbers. Uh, this comes from the uh, uh, Nikkei uh, newspaper. There's an annual survey in the Nihon Keizai Shinbun. Uh, and so I think these are of the most recent, uh, which I think are about a year, not 2007, but uh, 2006 and part of 2007. The number one is a company called SBI Holdings, uh, which used to be part of the SoftBank group. Uh, now it's an independent uh, financial, uh, full services financial, well, I wouldn't say full services, but an uh, investment uh, and financial services company. Uh, second is uh, Chuo Mitsui Capital. This is an affiliate uh, of uh, life insurance companies. Uh, third is JAFCO, which it was, was, it still is uh, closely connected to the Nomura Securities Group, a very large securities company. Uh, fourth is NIF, uh, SMBC Ventures, recently merged, uh, also <coughs> related to the, the uh, uh, securities company uh, Daiwa, uh, yes, Daiwa, uh, and also Sumitomi Mitsui, uh, Nikko, uh, also a securities company. Uh, Jike is a, <coughs> uh, together with JAFCO, uh, somewhat of a, a unique phenomenon in Japan are listed venture capital companies. So these are venture capital companies uh, that are uh, themselves listed companies. Uh, so they attract uh, public capital and invest uh, in, in venture businesses. Uh, and this is a company called Japan Asia, or ASEAN Investment Company, JAIC. Uh, Mizuho, a bank. Uh, Tokyo Marine, an insurance company. Uh, Oryx, a leasing company. Mitsubishi, UFJ, a bank. So as you can see, uh, clearly dominated uh, by affiliates of, of a financial services uh, industry. So what is my take uh, about the attractiveness from the point of view of a venture capitalist about uh, of the US market vis-a-vis -vis the J Japanese market? Well, if you really simplify it, and you look at the, the size of the opportunity, and what I mean by opportunity has encompasses all the uh, the aspects of uh, entrepreneurship, uh, about uh, domestic markets, about exit opportunities, about the infrastructure that surrounds venture capital and entrepreneurship, uh, versus the availability of capital. You know, venture capitalists always want to keep a balance between the amount of money uh, that uh, they uh, are required to invest uh, and the size of the opportunity, and third factor is really the, the people involved in the venture capital organization. All, all, you always want to keep a balance. You know, I think clearly, I'm sorry, I'm, I've got to avoid walking over here. Um, uh, clearly, uh, if you were along this line uh, or uh, below it, I think that would be an attractive uh, opportunity because the opportunity exceeds the amount of capital. I think both. Uh, currently in Japan and the U.S., although the U.S. has 
a larger, uh, the size of the opportunity is larger, I think there is excess capital available uh, in the United States. I think the same case can be made for Japan, that there is excess capital for the size of the opportunity. Um, and I think uh, one of the issues is that excess capital is made up of the capital of these guys uh, who are affiliates of large uh, financial uh, institutions. These are not professional venture capitalists. These are usually employees of large financial institutions. And so uh, as I see venture capital, I see it as a intermediary market that requires a, a specific skill set that is developed over the years. And uh, I, I think uh, most of these uh, individuals involved with these companies don't have the kind of uh, careers that uh, you need to develop that skill set. So uh, from my perspective, I think you know, uh, the capital, the excess capital is mostly made up of the capital from these large financial institutions. And it makes my life more difficult as a venture capitalist investing in Japan because I have to uh, deal with issues that are created uh, such as overvaluation uh, by a situation of excess capital. Now, uh, in any market, whether the, you know, no matter how the size of the opportunity is, if the capital and the opportunity are balanced, then it makes a, a good uh, uh, market for, for venture capital. Um, and the, the, o the, the only sort of uh, variable uh, that causes us concern, you know, certainly the size of the opportunity, but if the capital was adjusted for the size, that would be fine. But I think in both cases, there's excess, uh, an argument can, that can be made that there's an excess of capital. So uh, this is my company, uh, 1997. We've invested in over 35 ventures in Japan primarily, but also outside of Japan. Our investment thesis is source globally, invest locally. We're five partners. Uh, this model is, in fact, a unique, I should say, a very uh, small subset of the entire venture capital model uh, in Japan. Uh, we're modeled after kind of the Silicon Valley venture capital. So the five partners uh, all share risk, all share the upside. Uh, I, I was a co-founder, so I've been involved in the activity Are they since. All in Japan? Uh, yeah, uh, so of the five, I'm the only non-Japanese, and all yeah, the rest are all, all, all in Japan, yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, over, over uh, 10 years of experience, uh, we have, you know, we're currently our fifth fund, and our first fund, which was created in 1997, has reached its, its maturity. And so I think uh, there's a famous saying in, in the Valley here that it, it costs $35 million to make one venture capitalist, right? A venture capitalist must invest and hopefully not lose all, but uh, it must uh, be, be involved in investment over a period of time to, to learn the, the skill uh, of a venture capitalist. And you know, I think uh, an argument can be made that it takes maybe not 10 years, but at least five or six years to do that. So this is what we do. Uh, we source globally, invest locally. We invest in early stage ventures located around the globe that have meaningful contacts with Japan and other East Asian economies. And by meaningful contacts, uh, includes one or more of the following. There's a large market potential in Japan or some other East Asian country, right? And a strong commitment on the part of management to, to enter the, the, the Asian markets. There's a technology 
that's amenable to due diligence. So in, in, in doing the venture capital, you have to uh, determine whether the technology is, is legitimate and is uh, truly spectacular. And so we can tap into resources in Japan, such as universities and companies, to determine whether or not that technology is, is a good one. Uh, strong potential for partnering with Japanese or other Asia-based corporations in Korea, of course. You have uh, major uh, companies such as Samsung that have, are actively uh, partnering with uh, ventures. And then also potential to undertake an IPO on Japanese capital markets. So one of these contacts, one, one or more of these meaningful contacts would, makes our, uh, would make our uh, investment more attractive. So the argument is that one size doesn't fit, uh, fit all. It's not all about Silicon Valley. There's other markets out there. It may be more appropriate uh, that other markets, uh, other markets of, of innovation are the first markets that a venture should tackle. Um, uh, you know, I'm struck time and time again, and maybe this is not, uh, maybe this is already apparent to you, uh, of the very, very um, parochial, very local view that many venture capitalists have uh, in Silicon Valley. Uh, it's not only U.S.-centric, it's also very Valley-centric. Uh, and many of them, uh, I had a conversation with a uh, partner at a leading uh, Silicon Valley venture capital firm the other day, uh, whose name I won't mention, and I told him, yeah, I was from Japan. And he said, oh, remarkable, you know? Uh, it's remarkable that you're from ja Japan. And then he admitted to me that he had never, ever in his life been in Asia, much less Japan. And here is a fellow who is commanding millions of dollars, uh, hundreds of million dollars of, of investment, has never been in Asia. I mean, to me, that's just remarkable. And uh, I'm not, I don't want to denigrate the Silicon Valley uh, environment. I think it's tremendous, the, uh, especially the role that Stanford University has played and the, 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 the role of the U.S. market, the high technology market, but it's been very, very inwardly focused. And our sort of investment thesis is that um, uh, the innovation knows uh, no boundaries. Um, and, well, what about Japan? Okay, what about Japan? Well, Japan... When Japan is, is when th people think about innovation and entrepreneurship in Japan, they think in the sense of, oh, you know, entrepreneurs creating a company, entrepreneurs who are Japanese, creating a company that's located in Japan and selling things in Japan. Well, you know, innovation, uh, a, a economy or market can be an incubator of innovation in many different ways. And I think the Japanese market can be an incubator of innovation that arises outside of Japan. It doesn't have to be Japanese innovation. And so our model is for, to look for innovation that, that arises outside or anywhere. It can be, arise in Japan, can arise outside of Japan, that the Japanese market, uh, with its uh, tremendous uh, power of consumptions, uh, the, the, the early adopter mentality, can serve as a driving force uh, for that venture. Uh, and that's sort of the model that we follow. But when you talk to the, uh, uh, the, 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 the government uh, bureaucrats and you talk, well, we need to foster Japanese innovation, their focus is on it, Japanese operating in Japan. But they don't look at the power of the Japanese market and the East Asian market, the early adopter market, uh, to, to help innovation 
develop uh, wherever that innovation may arise. And that's the power, I think, of the Japanese uh, innovation, uh, or the Japanese market. And so that's the, the area that uh, we operate in. So we think that innovation no, knows no bounds, but we need to anchor that innovation in a market that is an early adopter market. Uh, so these are some of the things that uh, uh, we look at uh, when we look for investments, the market opportunity, large and fast growing, uh, compelling value proposition, management team, and, and technology. I'll just skip over that. Here are some companies that we've invested that, fits that, that fit that model. Uh, Hoku Scientific, this is in alternative energy. Uh, they achieved an IPO on NASDAQ based on three commercial relationships. And two of those commercial relationships were the Japanese companies, okay? And they did an IPO in NASDAQ. Spectrogenics, uh, a medical equipment company in the burgeoning area of home, uh, home medicine. This company, uh, they launched their product initially in Japan. And it's selling very well in Japan. First market in the world because the market in Japan did not face the same type of regulations as in the United States the U.S. faced FDA, and they could not launch some, the product until they obtained FDA uh, uh, approval. So the first product, the early adopter market, was, was Japan. Really English. Uh, <clears throat> this is an uh, online learning content company uh, that for, for English language learning, uh, and their first and most significant market is Japan. And now they've, they've entered the China uh, and Korea. Uh, GeoVector. Uh, San Francisco company here, uh, they, their uh, uh, technology is, is in the area of local search for mobile telephones. And their first deal uh, in the world uh, is with uh, a carrier in, in Japan called uh, KDDI, the AU platform. And the reason they did their first deal in Japan is because J Japan and also Korea has the infrastructure for, mo for, for mobile telephony that's necessary for this, for this technology. They have very sophisticated handsets uh, equipped with, in this case, uh, equipped with uh, uh, compasses, uh, uh, well, well uh, with compasses and GPS. GPS, uh, geographic positioning system, is a requirement in handsets uh, in Japan. So here are cases where Japan has served as a catalyst for the growth of companies that uh, uh, arose outside of Japan. Um, here, I'm, I'm switching back now. Uh, what I wanted to do is, is, is give you an overview, general overview of the, of the industry venture capital, the issues that I saw it, and then tell you a little bit about what we're doing in that context. And then I have a number of slides about uh, sort of venture capital as it exists uh, in, as it has existed and developed in Japan, uh, I don't think I'll, I have the, the time to go over it in detail, and perhaps later on you can look at it in leisure, but the history of venture capital really goes back a relatively long way, 1973, with the creation of uh, JAFCO, and that is, the, as you saw in the, the earlier slides, the second largest venture capital firm in Japan as an affiliate of Nomura Securities. Um, <clears throat> Of course, global venture capital, can't forget that. Um, and you, you see here uh, that the, the development uh, of the venture capital market uh, has been highlighted uh, with not only uh, the market leader, JAFCO, but also with the creation of a number of exchanges uh, that are uh, geared toward, or that have been geared toward 
emerging growth companies, and I want to talk a little bit uh, more about those. Um, the uh, data. Uh, the most important source of data on the activity of venture capital, and especially the investment performance of venture capital funds in Japan, is the uh, Venture Capital Fund Benchmark Report, uh, which has been compiled by the Venture Enterprise Center, a quasi-public entity. Uh, and uh, there are 85 fund, uh, VC fund management organizations uh, reporting for 451 funds in Japan. So you can see that it's a significant uh, sample size. Uh, one of the, uh, <clears throat> the features uh, that come out of this study is that the average fund size uh, in Japan is quite small, uh, $40 million. I think the average fund size in the United States, I'm just guessing, but it must be in the range of two or $300 million now. Uh, Japanese investors make up the majority of investors, uh, although uh, there are some uh, foreign investors. And the data goes back to vintage year 1982. A second point of information, of course, is the statistics on the Japanese stock markets for emerging growth companies. Okay? So there's a tradition in Japan to segment the markets into uh, markets that are appropriate for companies at different stages of their development. And these are markets, uh, JASDAQ, uh, the Tokyo Stock Exchange submarket called Mothers, and the Osaka Stock Exchange uh, submarket called Hercules, formerly uh, NASDAQ Japan, <clears throat> that are the three main markets for emerging growth companies. And as you can see, um, in 2006, there were a significant number of IPOs on each of these markets, 59 in the case of JASDAQ, 41 in the case of Mothers, and 22 in the case of uh, Hercules. And the, the market capitalizations and the amount raised at IPO are uh, significant, relatively significant. And this is really the good news uh, of Japanese venture capital, the robustness uh, of the, or relative robustness robustness of the Japanese stock markets for emerging growth companies. I think the only one in the world, and, and, and I think the, the number one in the world is NASDAQ in the United States. I don't think there's any market that compares or comes close to NASDAQ. Uh, much has been said about the, the AIM market, uh, the London Stock Exchange, but uh, I think, um, and maybe I'm wrong and just prejudiced, but I think AIM is, is far overrated, and I believe that for emerging growth companies, uh, the triumvirate uh, in Japan uh, are, are second uh, in the world in terms of providing a vehicle uh, for exit uh, for emerging growth companies. Uh, here is the, the trends in terms of uh, amounts of venture capital investment and number of companies. Uh, you can see that uh, the, the amount uh, after dropping, after the, the bubble burst, you're starting, it's, it's starting to rise again. Uh, and and uh, the story doesn't end there. This is 2006, uh, mind you. So there's kind of a U-shaped uh, recovery after the uh, bubble. Um, here are some data on the investment tre trends. Um, uh, we can maybe come back to this in, in one of the questions, uh, but um, the, the, the trends are toward later stage investing. One of the, the key features and unfortunate features of uh, investments by large Japanese venture capital uh, firms is the, the tendency 
uh, of those firms to invest uh, one-off. In other words, put an investment in a company and not follow through over the sequence of rounds or provide additional capital to the company. And, and, and tending toward uh, sort of later stage recently. Uh, we can come back to this one. Uh, performance, uh, how have they done? Uh, well, uh, according to the VEC uh, data, uh, when you take all the 400, uh, take 402 funds for, for which there's performance data, uh, aggregated over the period from 1982 to 2007, uh, the return or internal rate of return is 4.55%, which, well, isn't so great. But uh, compared, for example, to the topics, which is the uh, stock market, a broadly weighted stock market index, uh, for the uh, for the Japanese stock markets, it exceeds uh, topics, uh, 4.55 uh, versus 3.47. Can I make a comment? You you may yes, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, it's terrible, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, rather than change, not so bad. It suggests that they were not making very risky investments. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The the strategy of. Uh, large venture capital firms, the, the, the financial institution affiliated venture capital firms, is to make, is to make investments uh, that uh, are pre-IPO. Uh, so IPO uh, companies that are, uh, have clearly the IPO uh, already scheduled and uh, these are uh, financial companies, financial institutions, so uh, as, as part of getting the underwriting mandate or providing some sort of service uh, to the, the, the company, they say, please let us uh, invest in your company pre-IPO. You know, they're relatively valuation insensitive, so they invest at a relatively high valuation. So the overall return uh, isn't uh, that great, but perhaps uh, one could argue that it's less risky. Uh, because you know perhaps the the, the certainty of the IPO is, is greater um, so that's that's one one issue and and also uh, for vintage years before 2003 there are only three years in which the aggregate IRR is negative so this goes to my point of being less risky uh, you know perhaps the investments were not really venture capital you know what is venture capital venture capital is providing risk capital to um, to growth companies, uh, rapidly growing companies, or companies with the potential to grow rapidly uh, over their life cycle until they, those companies are capable of raising uh, less expensive forms of capital, whether that would be uh, perhaps doing an IPO and raising it from the public investors or borrowing money from the bank or some, some such thing. So uh, in a sense, um, <clears throat> you could have invested broadly in Japanese venture capital and not really made that much money, but not lot lost, and not have lost, or not have had the risk of, of losing much money either. So that has been the, the feature of the traditional venture capital. That's all changing, however. And this is the, the picture. So those numbers I showed you were roughly up until 2006. So I have three graphs here and uh, you probably would not be surprised to learn that these are graphs of the stock market indices for each of the respective emerging uh, stock markets for emerging growth companies. Uh, so the JASDAQ, uh, the uh, Hercules, and the Mother's Exchange. As you can see, in each case from 2006, this is 2006 January, uh, those indices have dropped. So 
you saw the first bubble break in 2001, and as has happened in the valley here, investments fell off, and then uh, they they uh, they bottom, bottomed out probably in 2002, 2003, and then 2003, 2004, 2005, and 2006, they reached another peak, right? And then you're seeing what's happened subsequently. You're seeing another uh, bursting uh, of the bubble. Uh, and what or who is responsible? I mean, we're all aware of the most recent economic turmoil with the subprime uh, uh, loan mess and with the uh, growing economic recession uh, in, in, the, in the world. But what happened here in 2006? Um, this man. Uh, this, many of you can read what he has on his t-shirt, right? Kaikaku. Uh, reform, right? You could say innovation, right? So I am not a fan of Mr. Horier. Uh, but he uh, founded a company uh, called LiveDoor, uh, which uh, did an IPO and was very successful for a relatively brief amount of time. And uh, turned out uh, that part of that success was due to uh, his, uh, or his, allegedly, uh, his and his uh, CFO's manipulation of certain of his financial results. And of course, the authorities. Uh, came down very hard on him. And in fact, that happened. Uh, the announcement that uh, Horier uh, was under investigation or, uh, and, and actually was uh, brought in for questioning was at the beginning of 2006. And this is called the uh, live door shock. And to me, it represents a backlash of conservative Japan, okay? It also marks, in a sense, uh, the end of kind of the Koizumi reforms, uh, an end of a period that everybody was very positive about, a change in Japan, finally change uh, at the level of, of uh, and there are great changes, I think, in the, the mindset of, of corporate Japan, uh, in the mindset of young leaders like Korea, uh, and the mindset of the public about uh, the promise of entrepreneurship and the promise of uh, a new style of doing business. And I think he, a more, than re more than any, I, I, I'm overstating things, but he is responsible for really uh, damaging that mindset. And in my view, kind of the pendulum has swung back to a very conservative, once again, mindset of Japan. Now, the, the issue is really, will it swing back the other way? And uh, you know, I'm a great proponent uh, of that as well. But clearly, you know, since uh, this uh, incident occurred, uh, there has been uh, generally a, a, a decrease in the sentiment uh, toward a kind of entrepreneurial risk-taking and innovation. Okay. Uh, compounded with that is the tendency in Japan. Yeah, sure. Who funded LiveDoor? Good question. Uh, I don't know who the investors were in his company prior to the IPO. I don't know. Uh, we certainly were not. Oh, really? Oh, Bob knows. Jeff Bill. So uh, um, I would not touch this guy with a 10-foot pole. Uh, I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, this, this is hindsight, but clearly at the time, 
I mean, it's not somebody that I would, I would have invested in. But yeah, so he got money from some people. So um, there's also an unfortunate uh, situation in Japan uh, with the bureaucracy. Uh, in Japanese, it's called tatewari. Uh, the bureaucracies are uh, what's, uh, what they call it, uh, you know, sort of segmented, and there's no communication overriding policy. So certain of the, the Sil silo. siloed, that's right, there you go, siloed, highly siloed uh, institutions. And the National Tax Agency, which is part of the, the, the Ministry of Finance, are interested only in collecting more and more taxes. And uh, this is an interesting situation that's developed. Uh, there was a, a deal that was done in the private equity uh, area, the acquisition of the uh, long-term uh, credit bank by a group of uh, investors uh, led by a fund called Ripplewood, and who turned the company into uh, a new, uh, well, they renamed it as Shinsei Bank, and they relisted the company. And the deal was done uh, with essentially the, the government because the, the company or the, the, the bank had been nationalized. And so the deal was done with the, with the bank. There's nobody else to buy the bank from the government except Ripplewood. They got a really good deal, uh, no, no doubt about it. Uh, and they also did a much better deal on the back end when they exited, uh, when they relisted uh, Shinsei Bank and made lots of money. But much to the chagrin of the financial authorities, uh, most of the investors uh, in the Ripplewood Fund uh, were offshore entities and which were not subject to any taxation, local taxation, Japanese taxation. That's the principle of the, for example, the U.S.-Japan tax treaty, right? So, uh, angered by that, the politicians said, we must do something. You know, why are these foreigners making so much money from assets that are Japanese assets? So, the National Tax Agency uh, imposed a 20% withholding. Now, this is a, a technical issue, and I won't bore you with the technical issues, but this, in my mind, was an action that was contrary to the uh, tax treaty between the U.S. Uh, and Japan. And many countries have tax treaties, and th those tax treaties uh, state that if you are not a resident of that country, of another country, and you make an investment in that country, and that you, you get you, lucky enough to get capital gains, that capital gains is not subject uh, to the taxation of that country unless you are a otherwise doing business or a resident of that country. But this is in contravention of that. So which means that effectively, uh, all private equity funds, venture capital funds included, including my own, will not be able to get foreign investment because the foreign investors will be subject to a 20% withholding, which they otherwise would not be subject to. So there is a uh, attitude in, in Japan among the tax authorities, which is, we don't need foreign money. And this is not very good, in my mind. Um, the Ministry of Finance, as a result, direct result of the Horier incident, and, and the Horier deal, live door deal, without going into details, essentially was the same as the Enron situation. Enron used limited partnerships or other types of partnership structures to manipulate uh, revenues and profits. Uh, Horier did uh, basically the same thing. So as a result, the Ministry of Finance decided this was a good opportunity to regulate all businesses utilizing limited partnership structures, including the venture capital industry. So now, since 2007, we are, the venture capital industry in Japan, manages limited partnership funds, is a regulated entity, okay? 
And uh, there's also uh, other issues about accounting. Uh, well, there are similar issues in the United States, as a matter of fact, uh, but uh, also accounting issues, which make the, the job uh, more difficult. So uh, you, know, you see the market collapsing. You see the uh, kind of the bubble peaking and, and coming down. Uh, and you see activities uh, on the regulator, regulatory side which sort of exacerbate that, okay? And is this the revenge of the, the conservative establishment? I mean, if you're a conspiracy theorist, theorist maybe you can make a case uh, for that. So as a result, I'm sorry, this is from a blog uh, that I, I, I robbed these numbers from, but just, just uh, to look at the numbers here, these are for the three top, uh, uh, excluding SBI, three top... Uh, VC firms, but you can see that the, 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 the investments are drying up, okay? Uh, and IPO numbers. Here was the, the net bubble peak in IPO, and you see coming back in 2006 and then dropping uh, now to 2007. So uh, I think that's, okay. So these are the IPOs of uh, emerging growth companies, Jastak, Mothers, Hercules, and the, the total of the three markets, and you can see that after peaking here, 2006 is coming, six is coming down. So 2006 is kind of a, a turning point now. The question, of course, is uh, will that turn back around? And you see, this is some interesting data here about the comparison between uh, the companies that have done IPO recently and the companies that did IPO uh, in the past. So I think probably the most significant thing is the average market capitalization at the initial trading price. So essentially that's the value of the company at the IPO. Uh, if you, if, uh, you equate 100 million yen to a to million dollars, it's gone from 231 million dollars, which is a, a, a sizable amount and compares very favorably uh, even with a market like NASDAQ. Currently, most recent observations, you've got $79 million. So the value of the IPO has gone down, right? And that means that the returns to the venture capital investor has also gone down. Uh, the amount raised uh, is relatively small. Uh, the price earnings multiple at the initial trading price has gone from a stratospheric 149 multiple to a 15 multiple. <coughs> Uh, and the amount raised prior to IPO, this is the venture capital investment side, is gone from $13 million uh, and dropped to $9 and $10 million. Uh, and the VC ownership uh, from 13% uh, to about 17%. Um, another interesting point here is that the CEO age at IPO, okay? So you have this image about entrepreneurs being relatively youthful. Well, you know, if you call this youthful, then it makes me a happy man. But, uh, you know, from 49, 49, 50, 52, so the, the average age has crept up a bit. And more significantly, the amount of time from the founding to the IPO has increased significantly. 17 years, 16 years is, is still pretty long. Uh, until 23, uh, so till 23 now. So it's gone back to kind of the bad old days when uh, the only companies doing IPOs were companies that were relatively mature companies, okay? So the situation overall in Japan 
uh, on the exit. Uh, and so what kind of companies? We have Web 2.0, five companies, uh, generally information technology companies, 20 life sciences, eight companies. And I think the biggest uh, impact uh, has been in this area. Um, a lot of the, the, the 2000, pre-2006 bubble was essentially kind of created from the biotechnology boom. But as you can see, uh, the life sciences companies, the valuation uh, of all industries and compared even to Web 2.0 is the lowest. So the, uh, the valuations at the IPO of biotechnology companies is 61 million versus uh, 94 uh, million for, for all industries. Okay, so I think that's about, that's it for my presentation. I'm welcome, you know. Thank I, you very much. Yeah, thank you. So why should one be optimistic about the future? <laughs> 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 right, right. Any comment, speculation, about how long this, uh, how deep right. this valley will be for how long? Yeah, um, you know, I'm relatively pessimistic. Uh, the, the, the hope I see for Japan uh, is actually the hope that I see for Tokyo. And uh, just recently, Tokyo, uh, there was a Newsweek article about Tokyo naming it the number one culinary city in the world. There's more restaurants in Tokyo that have three stars than any other city in the world, Paris and London included. Um, and and Tokyo is, is, in my view, I was born and raised there, so I'm obviously biased, but it's a, a wonderful place to start a business. Uh, you have a, a urban concentration. Tokyo itself is 11 million people in the Kanto area. You've got 30-some million. Uh, you've got one-fourth of the population of Japan concentrated in an area where you can travel within one hour. Uh, it has you know, good food. Uh, arguably the best in the world. It has a safe environment. Uh, you know, there's very limited uh, smog, uh, good transportation system, good educational system. I think it's the perfect incubator uh, for, for new businesses. Uh, and prices are coming down. It's cheaper than uh, certainly Paris, London, and New York. Uh, and there's a lot of support in infrastructure. I have a, a fiber optic uh, connection to my home. Fiber to the home is a reality in Tokyo. It's a perfect environment for, for entrepreneurship. The leaders don't get it. They don't understand. Uh, contrast that to Singapore. I was in Singapore last year, and for a, a, a event put on by the Singaporean government to invite entrepreneurs from around the world to come to Singapore to create their uh, innovation and their, uh, uh, their companies uh, in Singapore, the Japanese leaders don't get it. They have a, uh, it, it, you know, to me, it's a no-brainer. Go to Singapore versus go to Tokyo. I would go to Tokyo any day. But uh, the Japanese leaders uh, do not understand that the future of Japan and the future of Tokyo is absolutely dependent on creating entrepreneurial innovation. And that Tokyo has the perfect environment for doing that. But the mindset has to change, and the mind has, mindset has to change drastically. And I can't do it. I can't even vote in Japan. Uh, I'm an American citizen. I was born and raised in Japan. I pay taxes, but I can't even vote. So I have no political power. So at the end of the day, it's about political leadership. It's about political will. 
there is a mayor in Tokyo that absolutely does not get anything. And so, uh, other than trying to promote Tokyo for the Olympics in 2016, what a retro idea, you know? So, I'm sorry, that's my diatribe. But I see, I see Tokyo as, as, as a shining potential for being the leading the center for technological innovation uh, in the world. And, and, and once again, so that's, that's, that's the side of, when you look at entrepreneurship and innovation in a narrow sense, uh, in terms of looking at homegrown uh, entities that venture capitalists, capitalists can invest in. Well, okay, that's that's one issue. But you know, Tokyo still represents, and Japan still represents for me, a, a huge market of early adopters, uh, a market for innovation uh, that you know I, I will continue uh, to base my operations in because I think it adds tremendous value to the whole process of innovation, uh, which is you know the the, the market adoption. So, yeah. And I'd like to hear your prospects on sort of two aspects. One is, is uh, on the macro level, um, besides everything that you mentioned and the regulations, um, the economy is not growing. Mm -hmm. So you see a lot of growth coming out of China and India, even Israel, and even in the U.S. Mm -hmm. it, it's growing. But the Japanese economy is very stagnant, mm -hmm. plus it's aging. We're the oldest nation in the world. Um, at the sort of micro ground level, right. um, you don't see any entrepreneurs coming, uh, even from the other generation. No, no. And I guess you know. Uh, what, once again, once again, it's it's a balance between the opportunity uh, and the available capital. It's always a balance between those. And there is always, when you look at it at a micro level, first you look at it, okay, what is the set of opportunities out there, okay? Uh, and uh, I think that the opportunity set is there. I don't deny it. And in fact, we've been successful investing in it. Uh, and then you need, but I think that the, in terms of, of a relative uh, attractiveness of the opportunity, I think when you compare it to someplace like Silicon Valley, it's much less, okay? But it's there. I don't deny that. The second question is, is there you know, too much capital or too little capital? For an investor, too little capital is a good thing because capital is at a premium, you can get a higher return, right? Uh, I think the issue right now in Japan is that there's, for the opportunity set, there's capital and there's adequate capital and unfortunately that adequate capital is probably not very smart capital. Uh, you know, I, I, I say that Without, I, I, I try to avoid being uh, arrogant uh, or obnoxious, but it's a matter of fact that a venture capitalist requires training. And uh, you, know, you can be as smart as you want, but unless you've gone through that training, unless you've experienced that and you've made that your career, it's very hard to be a good venture capitalist. And that's very little. So you've got capital that's flooding uh, so there, there, there are opportunities out there, interesting companies, good companies that we'd like to finance. Well, what happens is that the other venture capital firms get wind of that, put money into it, drive up the valuation or spoil the company uh, or uh, come to us and say, now we need more capital and we have all this investment from all these other companies, so your capital will be used to bail out these other investors. I mean, to us, that makes it an unattractive investment. So that's the point I'm making. So I'm not saying that 
you know, there is absolutely no opportunity in Japan. There is opportunity, but I think there are a number of uh, uh, situations, such as the uh, uh, regulatory scheme, I think the, the, the IPO market, uh, the, the nature of venture capital uh, in Japan that's making it uh, a less attractive place uh, for us to invest. So that's what, it. What is, what is your sort of well, so I get back to this issue about the market, about the Japanese market being a uh, market that is able to foster innovation. So, uh, you know, if the innovation, so I, I have a group of people in Silicon Valley, okay? They have a great innovation, but that innovation, there is no market in the United States. You know what happens? They go to the Silicon Valley guys and they say, well, our market is in Asia. Silicon Valley guys say, I'm not interested. Too hard. I don't want to go to Asia to look at this market opportunity. And they won't, they're not able to get financing. But if there's a group of venture capitalists that can say, okay, that innovation has a tremendous market potential in, in Asia and primarily Japan. Japan, in terms of the high technology markets, is number one in Asia. Then you say, well, this makes a good investment. So the opportunity is not to be bound by this this attitude that innovation is, has, has any nationality. Innovation is global and innovation can arise anywhere. And in order to, to the, the key is to match that innovation with the appropriate market. And that's, as an investor, to me that's attractive because that lowers the competition. And from an investor point of view, competition is bad. So I want to find a deal that is, is great technology, but, but the innovation uh, the, the, the first market for that innovation is in Asia, therefore I can leverage my capabilities and then create a good return for my investors. So I see the potential uh, of, of Japan in terms of a market as, of early adopters. I see it as a, a, a tremendous place to do business if you're trying to uh, get into uh, the other Asian markets. You know, I mean, uh, uh, China is huge and growing, uh, but um, you know, quite frankly, from the quality of life, you know, I think there's many people who choose to live in Tokyo and commute and fly, uh, you know, three hours to, to Beijing, three hours to Shanghai, uh, or, you know, uh, to other places and, and use Tokyo as the center of your Asian operations. I think that makes legitimate sense. And so that's, in my view, the future of Japan. It's not about this very narrow view of, you know, nationality of innovation. It's, it's the role of Japan going forward in the, the sort of the global marketplace. And I think it has a very strong and important role. Unfortunately, and the caveat I made at the end was that I don't think the politicians get it. They're very nationalistic thinking. And, and that's, that's true of uh, almost every country. It's, it's hard to avoid that, right? Yeah. <clears throat> yes, I can talk. Uh, I lived in Japan for about 10 years. Yeah. Um, lived in Japan for about 10 years, and I know numerous companies that have had trouble entering that market. Mm -hmm. So to your, your, your model there, could you explain a little more about what, how your company would assist uh, Silicon Valley company that says, you know, the market for this product is in Japan. Right. And uh, what does your company do yourself do to assist that company to bring that technology to Japan and, right. and, and foster its right. nurture growth there? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if there's a, a, you know, a particular template for that activity. But I think you, you start with an analysis of whether or not it would be appropriate to set up a subsidiary in Japan uh, that's wholly owned, 
uh, and then you staff it with local people uh, and, and uh, you know, uh, uh, it serves as your sales and distribution uh, subsidiary for your, you know, Silicon, Silicon Valley company or uh, would it be uh, partnering uh, with a, a local, strong local partner that could provide whatever, you know, either distribu distribution or sales or co-development or whatever, you know, needs that company had. So I think it's really analysis. First of all, it's a, it's a, a appropriate analysis of the correct market entry strategy. And then once that correct market entry strategy is is uh, developed, is then to help implement it. And I think on the implement implementation side, I mean, there's you know a large number of things we can do from not only setting up the office and, and more importantly hiring the right people, but if it's a partnering strategy, is to identify uh, the correct partners and negotiate the deals with those correct partners. So it's the whole gamut of the the whole market entry uh, aspects uh, of foreign country. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Oh, sorry. This is uh, going to end up being, excuse me, a contrarian question. Okay. But it's going to end up being a question of, well, how are they doing? Hmm. The contrarian view, the short circuit, a lot of commentary about it, right. uh, is uh, something that I got by uh, discussing uh, with Harry Rowan. Uh, my enthusiasm, which you packaged up in the last one minute of your talk, except for Tokyo food, which is great, but <laughs> it wasn't part of my enthusiasm, uh, including writing a book and all that. And then, big disappointment. Uh, nothing much happened. Uh, Okamura-san and I went around and gave a lot of lectures and seminars and nothing. Mm -hmm. No, lunchy right. show. Right, nothing right. Happened. So we, I went to Professor Rowan and <clears throat> said, what's going on here? And uh, he said, look at uh, there's a long cultural tradition in Japan. Maybe there's this theory mm. that they really like to work in big companies, that they've evolved systems by which the big companies are highly innovative. Mm -hmm. They don't need the innovative stuff that we see going on around here that fuel. I mean, right. Uh, so anyway, question from your from your perspective right. is how are those guys doing? Is is Professor Rowan right, and are they doing really well on? Uh, by innovating inside of these companies to create highly innovative structures. Yeah, you know, and, and uh, I am, I'm not an expert on uh, innovation and certainly innovation that occurs within large corporations. So I can't, I can only uh, give you my speculation about this. But I am constantly amazed when innovative ideas come out of large institutions. I mean, you take Nintendo, right? The, the, the big example there is this game called Wii, right? The Wii controller. This is a, a totally radical game which, which is, is a, a, a disruptive technology in the classical or the Christensen sense of the word where you have this controller and uh, through motions uh, of your hands and body uh, you control the game on the screen. And this game was developed by Nintendo, which is you know, one of the large competitors together with, with Sony and also with uh, Microsoft's Xbox in the area of, of, of video games, right? These computer games. And they completely sort of disrupted that, tech, uh, that, that, uh, that product area by creating a game that was intuitive, uh, that was simple, and that comes out of a large corporation. And, and if you read you know, people like Christensen, that's not possible, right? 
uh, large companies are not able or, or shouldn't be able or are genetically incapable of, of coming up with innovation that is disruptive. But that happens. And so I've asked people about that, and yeah, people have said, yeah. And, and one of the different approaches, I think, uh, especially in the United States, uh, is you, you, and this is just a, a theory of, of, of corporate behavior, which I have no basis to even expound about, but I think in the United States, people are, people are in large corporations plan things very uh, minutely. You know, market research, everything is, is, is designed. I'm experiencing that right now with a, uh, a, uh, a venture that I invested in who hired somebody from P&G, and this guy is putting out this very elaborate marketing plan, right? Market research, you know, a distribution strategy. In Japan, it's like, hey, let's just kind of throw it up against the wall and see if it sticks, right? It's sort of this more market-oriented innovation. And I think that's where the strength of uh, the, the market comes out even for innovation for large corporations, where there is a kind of a experimental attitude. You know, people don't kind of study the problem to death, uh, especially in new products. It's, okay, let's release it, looks cool, you know, let's, let's get it out there. Uh, and so I think that is uh, one of the strengths of the, the, the creativity, creativity and innovation that comes out of large corporations that perhaps doesn't exist in large corporations so much in the United States, and it's more typical of smaller uh, companies in, in Japan, uh, in, in the United States. Sorry. Just a little follow-up. Right. If this theory that we were talking about right. is true, couldn't you make more money for your investors by finding those innovative big companies and investing in that rather than <laughs> plugging away at this yeah, and the problem is that there's a case, you know, Harvard Business School case about IBM. And IBM is not a Japanese company, but IBM and all U.S. companies have tried to innovate, right? Try to create new products. The problem is that they're so large that even if they create a hit product that for a venture would be, you know, mind-boggling, it only is a blip on their radar. So if you're making billions of billions of dollars, if you make a billion more, so what? You know, the stock price may go up just a little bit or may go down. Who knows? But for a venture, because you start from such a small base, it's huge. So that's the reason from an economic point of view that this may, is much more attractive. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've actually done probably five or six rounds of financing in Japan from JAFCO and SBI. Oh, okay. I've sold one company, right. still on the board of a couple of others. Um, but one of the things that really strikes me about doing business there is one, when you're trying to raise money, what you were talking before, is, you know, you get $300,000 from each bank-funded <laughs> one because that's their corporate limit, right. and it's impossible to get any serious money right. unless you've been around, unless you yourself have, you know, huge revenues already. Right. And do you, or do you see any niche for larger chunks of money coming in? Oh, uh, absolutely. And making that sort of an investment thesis, saying, look, we're not going to be yeah, uh, absolutely, and that's that's what we try to do. The problem is that, you know, a lot of times that company is already, yeah, it's already been has this whole motley crew of investors, and you know, suddenly you've got you've got ten other venture capitalists, and so I'm going to drag these guys along, and and they won't even follow on into their next round, right? And so, to me, you know, you know what happens to those guys in Silicon Valley? They get squeezed out. 
but that doesn't happen in Japan. And and you know, if you try to do that, you wouldn't be able to do business in Japan. So that's what makes it very difficult. Kind of, kind of a related right. question. When we started, we actually there's a guy, Alan Miner's a friend. Oh yes, know, Alan. Yeah. He's mm-hmm. a friend of mine. So he put up a million for when we started. Right. There's no way we could have gotten subsequent funding if we hadn't had that sort of track, you know, the, 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 the momentum that you get from having that angle around. Right. It's really hard, it seems, to find angel-level investing. In yeah, and I, I don't think there's a tradition, and also, you know, rich people in Japan have most of their assets tied up in, or at least had, in, in real estate, right? So it's an illiquid asset. So uh, I, I don't think there's a whole lot of people have lots of cash hanging around that have a... there's a, a, an investment thesis for basically doing angel investing? Oh, as, as if you are an individual with lots of money? Or, con- or with people who have... Uh, um, yeah, you know, and I, I think it's really, we found it hard to find deals that hadn't somehow been, uh, other people had been involved in. So, you know, I think that would be ideal if you could find these pristine deals, <laughs> but that's been a challenge for us. So I, I guess from that experience, I would find it quite challenging as well. So, Yeah. Mm-hmm. And could you give sort of a little uh, elaborate example of how you see the current value add on the boards of companies? Yeah, yeah. How you would like it in contrast to Well, you know, I, I think a lot of the value add thing is, is kind of a myth anyway. But, but I, I, I think when I say smart money, perhaps I'm placing a pretty low threshold on it <laughs> of smartness. But it's, it's about, I think, prim, the, the primary responsibility of an investor uh, with presumably the ability to continue financing a company is the ability to understand what's going on in that company and, and determining at appropriate stages whether it, uh, uh, that company warrants the risk of continued fi- funding and making the appropriate decisions at that time. And I think getting back to this gentleman's question about you know uh, venture capital firms in Japan not continuing to fund, uh, you know the smart money says okay here's a company that uh, we think is going to be successful, so we'll put in a certain amount of money now, and that money is not going to be enough. At some stage in the future, it will need more money, and so uh, it's incumbent on those investors to track and monitor the progress of that company. So when it gets to that critical point of getting additional money, or requiring additional money, those investors can make an intelligent decision. I'm not saying they have to support that company, but if that company is doing well, has met its milestones, and still uh, is, uh, you know, can it, uh, obtain those objectives, that investors should continue supporting. I mean, that's smart money. I mean, that's a relatively low threshold. You know, I think in the sense of uh, uh, board involvement, you know, certainly the, the ability to introduce uh, potential business partners, you know, the market entry aspects of it, finding uh, local partners, uh, hiring people, for example, is, is very valuable. But uh, at the end of the day, uh, you know, my observations is that the, the management team does the bulk of the work uh, anyway, 
and and the you know the, the the investors really they're involved is is just to make sure that their money is is being well taken care of and that's their primary focus. Could so I think it's overstated. Yeah. Um, in the history of Silicon Valley, the uh, the venture capitalists were not predominantly philanthropic people. Mm -hmm. I'm a little shocked. They were not predominantly That's all. That's helpful. Right. If I can just add to that, from my knowledge of the Japanese VCs I've worked with, I think that none of them added any perspective whatsoever. They were useless, um, excepting one guy who had operating background. And it's not so much that they're telling you, you know, giving these great insights or introducing you to great partners. Again, it's the guy's gone through and he's like, oh, you need to think about this. Maybe. You know, is this division really the right division? And there's, you know, one division which I ended up having to shut down because I, but I had someone I could talk with, and basically he had an, an incentive to make the company succeed, and he actually had an opinion which I valued. And every all the other VCs, the Jathcos and the Tsumitomos, unfortunately, they come from a banker's bureaucratic perspective, and they have no ability to say, oh, that's good or bad. So like, oh, you made your, you made your numbers. That's great. That's it. I think there's a there's a there's a spectrum of first year fan. I, I received four rounds of special capital in my company. And I think there's a spectrum. I think you're right. The old Jaffcos, we just had old the you know, Nico Ant Factory, all that kind of stuff. Those are bankers coming to here and they're gonna tell you about banker stuff. The new stuff, some of the stuff you're doing, Globus, um, stuff we got out of Ignite, um, you know, uh, there are some people who were ex CEOs of operating companies and well, they may give you hard advice because I think it's a mixed bag right now, and I think you're exactly right that the, you know, yeah, the, we only had money from kind of the older <laughs> stuff was really really difficult. I think some of the newer stuff, like Michael's firm, is starting to get it. So it's not not to say no. I was just saying I think that there's at least some change there. And uh, we have room for well, two more questions, I guess. What? Yeah, I think got a couple people could always. There's two people right here. Yes. Lady here and the gentleman there. So. Yeah. Um, so that, um, I think there's a vicious cycle of Japan trying to close its financial market for foreign investors, plus um, foreign investors who are losing interest in, in, in investing in Japan because there's bigger opportunities in China and so on. So um, what do you think can, um, what or how do you think can put an end to it if that's well, you know, I think I think that that uh, you know the financial institutions should close down their venture capital operations, <laughs> and so take that money off the table and allow the the market for true venture capital to to develop. And at the end of the day, if it's not a profitable operation, uh, they should close them down anyway, right? So if a large bank, large securities company, they're doing venture capital, they're not being very successful. You know, why continue that? Uh, why continue that operation? I think they would do, as I mentioned 
before, it's a balance between the opportunity and the amount of capital, right? And one of the issues, clearly the opportunity in Silicon Valley, no country in the world can compare with that. But there's strong aspects of the Japanese uh, infrastructure, uh, market, uh, that, that make it, you know, could potentially make it an attractive, more attractive place, I should say, if there wasn't this other money out there that uh, kind of makes it, makes our job more difficult, right? And so uh, my view is that if, if the, the, uh, the management of these large institutions uh, would take a look at the performance of their venture capital subsidiaries and see that the, they're not generating positive returns and shut them down, you know, temporarily maybe that causes uh, some grief for certain uh, uh, venture startup business owners who don't get financing from them. But I think overall for the development of the market, it would be good because you would only have the survival of the fittest, right? So these large institutions, they have these divisions of venture capital and not making any money, but, uh, you know, we can cover it, make it up someplace else. So, I mean, that would be my prescription. And I think, you know, from a, uh, uh, you know, that, that's why for me, more reform, uh, more focus on the stock market, performance of the companies is important because that causes the management of large Japanese companies to look more critically at the performance of each of their business units. So I would like I to see that. Maybe we have to close the oh, formal session okay. now right. and others. Right. People can come up oh, okay. and talk to you. Yeah, Thank sure. you so much. Sure. Right. The preceding program is copyrighted by Stanford University. Please visit us at stanford.edu.